Hello and welcome to Entrepreneurship Now, a London Business School podcast where we learn from entrepreneurs who have launched their own ventures and help to equip and inspire those who want to do the same. I'm Jane Kader, Executive Director of the Institute of Entrepreneurship and Private Capital at London Business School. We recently held a discussion exploring what it takes to launch and scale a successful, sustainability-focused business, looking at the problem that each of them had identified when starting up, their motivations behind the business, and how they accelerated their business development by collaborating with other stakeholders of society. Then there was the question of how they each measure their social impact of their ventures, as well as how they find that all-important balance between impact and income. Suffice to say, we certainly covered a lot of ground. The panel included Jules Bucher, the founder of TreeApp, Harriet Scriven, the founder of Restyle, and Georgia Granata, the co-founder and CEO of Wipe. You can listen to it now. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to our panel on social uh, impact entrepreneurship. Great to see so many of you here today and great to have our panel with us as well. Um, today, we're going to be hearing from some of the most innovative and inspiring social impact alumni entrepreneurs that we've actually uh, bred at the school to date. And it's certainly a, a, a beast of entrepreneurship, which is you know, gathering momentum year on year. Very, very exciting. These guys are making such a huge difference to their communities, and we're looking forward to hearing more about that. Um, as we know, social impact entrepreneurship is about creating a business. It's about creating a business that only generates profits, but also has a purpose. Uh, and that purpose is to address either a social or typically an environmental issue, one or the other, or sometimes both. So these entrepreneurs are using their skills, their creativity and their resources, and even some of the resources still available to them at the school, uh, to, create, to really solve some of the world's most pressing problems. The insights that they're able to share with us today are not just peculiar to them, but indeed will be specific to social impact entrepreneurs across the board, which is why this makes this such a, a pertinent discussion. We're going to be hearing from them in terms of the challenges and the opportunities that they've faced. Um, and how they're actually creating a lasting impact within their communities. They're going to be talking about their ventures, uh, the lessons that they've learned so far along the way, and the impact that they're already making. So you've already very uh, briefly been introduced, um, obviously by way of the uh, opening words, which is fantastic, Harriet, J Jules, and Georgia. Um, I think really to put context in terms of the questions that's going to follow, if I enable you to perhaps elaborate on that introduction, Talking a little bit more about your business, the business model, the, 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 pro, the social problem that you're looking to solve, and effectively, I guess, the motivations behind you starting the business in the first instance. Now, that sounds like an awful lot in probably just a few minutes. <laughs> Let's just go down the line. So, sure. uh, Harriet. Um, hi, everyone. It's great to be back here. I graduated last year. It really doesn't feel that long ago. I came up with the idea for Restyle whilst I was still on my MBA. I did not plan on being an entrepreneur at all. I was gonna go back into luxury, just change my career direction. But during the MBA, I got married um, in the summer and it was just after COVID. We were one of the first weddings. So I hadn't seen my bridesmaids and I had all of their dresses and everyone going to me, well, we need them altering. Does anyone know a tailor? How do we do this? And it was the most long-winded process. So I thought there's just got to be a better way to do this and very, MBA mindset. I thought, well, during the MBA, there's no opportunity cost of me exploring this and started working on the idea for Restyle. 
So what we do is we have a marketplace for expert tailors, uh, matching people who want their clothes to fit with brilliant tailors across London. And I guess in terms of the impact, the obvious one that we're looking at is that increasing the longe longevity of your clothes because if they fit better, you're gonna wear them for longer. Um, also with my background in retail, I have seen my co-founder and I, we met at Selfridges and we knew that one of the biggest impacts of the bottom line there is on customer returns. It creates a lot of issue, dead stock, the whole process of the returns is extremely costly. So rather than not being able to, to wear something, what if there is a, solu a different solution so you can just have it altered quickly to fit? So that's on the, on the user side, but also on the tailor side, it's not what I was thinking about when I first went into it, but we're having a big impact on the tailors that we work with in terms of growing their business. So I think that ESG point eight is how to support growing SMEs, small micro businesses, but also with labor intensive industries, how you can use tech to support that growth. So that's where we're really excited as well about the impact that we can have. Uh, Fantastic. No, no, I mean, a fascinating story. An accidental entrepreneur, yeah. as is so often the case. So we have uh, so many uh, uh, entrepreneurs who literally come to business school for very different reasons, have that light bulb moment and uh, leave with a totally different uh, career trajectory. So uh, fantastic to hear. Jules, was your uh, journey quite so accidental? Not really. Uh, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Uh, started two businesses before Triap. And glad to say Triap is the one that's gotten the further. I founded Triap. Triap, we're one of the largest tree planting organizations here in the UK. And really our business is split into two parts. So on one hand, you have a consumer app, which basically enables anyone to plant a tree for free every day. If you haven't already, get your phone out. We're both on the App Store and the Play Store. Download Triap uh, and start planting trees for free. So we have the consumer app, and then we also work on a B2B basis with brands to set up private tree planting sites as well as do some carbon offsetting by developing and selling uh, carbon credits. So to sort of go back to how we started TreeApp, together with my, my co-founder, what we identified is, is that you know, pretty much everyone nowadays wants to have an impact. They know that climate change is real, that it's happening, but really there's three main barriers. The first one is that people don't have the time, they don't have the money, and they don't have the know-how. And so we wanted to find an easy and quick solution for anyone to have an impact. And so that's how we came up with the concept of the app, which basically enables users to plant a tree for free every day. The way it works is you go on the app, you select a reforestation project. So we plant across 14 countries in, in uh, four continents. And in order to plant your tree in this country, you'll watch a 30 second ad can be a bit less, can be a bit more. And at the end of the ad, a tree will be planted on your behalf. So we basically use the revenue we make from the ad to plant a tree. The user can then obviously track their impact on the app. So, you know, how many trees have been planted, see some comparables, you know, how much carbon will be absorbed by these trees across their lifetime, etc. So there's a lot of information there. And really, it's a great way for anyone to have an impact while discovering eco-friendly brands. And actually, we've We've had some of uh, your great products on the app uh, featured as well. So that's, that's the app. So we launched the app in 2020, and we were amazed by the level of interest we received. We were very fortunate to be featured. Hottest app on the App Store. We got App of the Day. We were in the best app on the Play Store. 
So we gathered a lot of users, and a lot of these users came to us saying, can I plant trees with my company? Can I do some carbon offsetting with the organization I'm part of? And so that's how we released our B2B solutions, which, which now actually represent probably most of the revenues that we, that we make. Uh, and so as I mentioned, we do two things mainly, tree planting, which means that we can help companies integrate tree planting into what they do. For example, plant a tree for every purchase that happens on your e-commerce site, uh, or it could be setting up private forests. So you know, companies that have thousands of employees that want to have, for example, a forest where they can receive sh shout about all of the environmental, social impact that they're having, etc. We also do carbon offsetting, as I mentioned. So we work with companies to calculate their footprint and then offset it by different carbon credits right. projects. We'll talk about uh, measuring that impact a little bit after. Georgia. Yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm Georgia. So uh, my company is Wipe. And uh, as mentioned before, we're working on reimagining intimate hygiene and wellness, starting from the bottom specifically. So rectal wellness and actually the origin of the company came from a personal need. It's not going to be too graphic. I'm Italian. <laughs> so I'm a would-be bidet user. And I moved to the UK and uh, I started to become preoccupied with uh, my intimate hygiene. But at the same time, what I noticed was in the news, there was like a growing concern and reports of pollution caused by wet wipes and incredible sewer blockages in kind of uh, pipelines, sewers and waterways uh, in the country. Obviously, now we know we have an island in the Thames that's made of wet wipes. And I thought it was a very curious phenomenon because wet wipes have been on the market for, you know, decades. Why is it that suddenly they were entering the waterways so aggressively? And my intuition was that adults who had grown in a world with wet wipes were converting to using them on themselves for personal hygiene. And so I thought it was an extremely stimulating. After working years in fashion and luxury, I thought, what if we just kind of started looking at this problem instead? And so I thought it was extremely fascinating. And that's how we created our first product, which is an eco-friendly wet wipe alternative. So it's a natural and organic gel that can be applied to regular toilet tissue to boost its soothing and cleansing power. And it's fully flushable and biodegradable. And in fact, to this day, about 80% of our customers convert from wet wipes, uh, while the remaining 20% convert from toilet tissue. And what we've discovered, actually, what's another kind of a little bit similar, well, not a similar pivot at all, but a similar kind of discovery that we did while running the, the business, which we launched in late uh, 2020, is that the, a lot of the problems that come with intimate hygiene come from the stigmas associated to them. So the products that are available right now on the market are either one size fits all and normally with cartoon mascots like puppies or pandas that don't actually educate the user as to their rectal health. Well, actually there's a super high prevalence of uh, colorectal issues in the public. 75% of the population um, will experience hemorrhoids at one point in their lives. And there's not a lot of information out there on how to treat them properly. And speaking of that topic, the other products are extremely stigmatized and embarrassing. A lot of people wouldn't want to be seen at the cashier carrying something like Anisol. Um, and so there we saw an opportunity to also do a little bit of work, not only on the sustainability side, but on the social impact side, by supporting better education when it comes to personal care and hygiene and realistic expectations to what happens to the body throughout uh, you know, an extending lifespan. 
and supporting associations like uh, Pelvic Radiation Disease Association, MASTIC, which is an association that treats and helps support women who have uh, had uh, serious tears during pregnancies that all cause colorectal problems that can be supported with our product range. Fantastic. Well, as you can see, three very, very different uh, businesses. Obviously, a B2C service, a B2B and a B2C, uh, B2C product. So, uh, yeah, it's great to hear, obviously, the sort of the, the great uh, breadth of issues that uh, you'll be facing in respect of each of those. You're all in business. You've all got you know, social impact purpose. That's effectively the sort of the common denominator. But allied to that, there's also the need for you to be accountable, whether it's to shareholders, whether it's to the board, whether it's just to yourself for the sake of sanity and giving you the motivation to get out of bed every morning. In terms of accountability, that in itself will drive metrics for you, know, you measuring your impact. I mean, Jules, your business probably is the easiest out of the three in terms of measuring impact. You're talking about carbon offsets. Have you got an element of gamification there or is it just an internal metric that you use? I mean, I think there's, first of all, obviously, different types of impact that we need to look at. So there's the environmental impact, which is quite clear when you're planting trees, when you're doing carbon offsetting. There's also the social impact, which is super important and which is usually quite, um, you know, when you think about tree planting, you don't necessarily think about the social impact. You think a lot about the carbon that would be absorbed, uh, you know, the benefits to the biodiversity, etc. But actually, Throughout all of our projects across the world, we work with local communities, so we create jobs. All of the fruits that our trees will yield will eventually go back to the communities. So there's a big part of our impact that's also social and economical. So what we do is, first of all, we obviously split these three to look at them differently. And then we have different metrics for each. So on the environmental side of things, we're going to be looking, of course, at the total amount of trees we've planted. That's one of our main KPIs. But then we're also going to be looking at things around, okay, so what kind of species are we planting, you know, what's the survival rate across all of our sites. And then through that, we're going to be able to infer a lot of statistics around what's the total carbon that will be absorbed across the lifetime of the trees per year. For the carbon credits project, it's a bit different because you're usually certifying existing forests. So what you need to look at is, okay, what's the current amount of carbon that, the, that the, those forests are absorbing, etc. What are the different standards that we need to use in order to then be able to issue credits from these. So that's on the environmental side. On the social side, I've mentioned the different things that, the different benefits that trees are bringing. And so really we have a mix of internal KPIs and then we use a lot open source platforms as well. So for example, we leverage satellite imagery to look at our planting sites and then infer as much data as we can by basically tracking live performance of the forest. So there's a lot of different aspects, but I think it's a mix of being very clear on which are the main statistics you want to be following, but also what are these other kind of information that you can get through leveraging technology. And do those metrics uh, get translated through communication with your customers? both the yes. businesses and the people who are planting trees? or yeah, Absolutely. So, I mean, on the consumer side, obviously a lot of it goes through the app. So on the app, you can track your own progress. You can also see the progress of sort of the whole app. We have an impact report that we uh, obviously publish every year. We're very active on social media. Our app is literally at TreeApp. If you want to follow us, we're on all platforms. And on the business side, it's much more... With larger clients, we usually will produce tailored impact reports for our clients, but it's also just about communicating with them and helping them to translate that impact to their end customer or the different stakeholders that they're having. So, you know, when I tell you that you've absorbed 150,000 tons of carbon, it's not very, it's not very tangible. So 
we give them comparables so that you know, they can basically illustrate it in a much more straightforward way to their different stakeholders, whether it is investors or clients or obviously consumers. Georgia, I mean, you've heard obviously sort of quite a scientific approach here. Is your KPIs purely product sales and that's your impact? I mean, how are you measuring? Yeah, so um, a quite different process. So one of the first numbers that we look at is like for like how many wipes have we kept out of the environment so that's about 35 million so far but at the same time obviously that's not the full calculation because you have to factor in what is our product how is our product made what is it made of where does each piece of componentry come from and what does it take to make that piece of component that's why there are great companies like Jules that helps founders calculate those things and also how does that compare to the impact of a wet wipe so as far as ourselves a small company started you know only a few years ago what we did is we worked to make sure that every single element of our product is selected carefully. So what we've done is our bottles are made of, out of infinitely recyclable aluminum and our top applicators are not single use. So one can buy a pump and then buy a refill that is fully made of aluminum so that it is infinitely recyclable as well as our formula is Cosmos Organic certified. So it's made with natural organic and sustainably sourced ingredients. Our packaging is FSC certified. So we do go very far to make sure that we're making the product as sustainable as possible and we do communicate it to the customer who does care about that. And to take it one step further, we actually were just rewriting our articles of association because we just we're closing a funding round right now and we're planning to apply to become a B Corp. So it requires to put um, some statements, are you? <laughs> it's a very long process. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, in advance, we're, we're, so we were already redoing them. So it's like just put in the B-Core requirements in, um, that will require us to do a yearly impact report and to make certain choices uh, for the company guaranteeing that in the long term, we're always kind of keeping an eye on our impact. And of course, then there's a less measurable impact of what we're trying to do now to support kind of challenging the taboos that are around rectal and colorectal health and conditions and kind of lead that to people who have issues or who maybe don't have sufficient um, education in the space to live with less shame and pain and feel less lonely. So that's what we're going to be working on a little bit going forward. Thank you. Harriet, we'll come back to you afterwards because I'm conscious of the fact that you're a much newer business and uh, perhaps you're sitting here uh, mentally scribbling down notes as to how you're going to measure impact, etc. And uh, obviously uh, your business is in that sort of stage of evolution. But yeah, you've had a very interesting experience through textiles and, and we'll touch on that in a moment. But if we could just go back to uh, Jules and, and Georgia for the time being, because you've got this sort of dichotomy here with running a social impact business, potentially that, you know, striking that optimal balance between creating an impact and by that same token also generating income and dare I say it ultimately profit you know um, that dirty word of course but you know at the end of the day there's that balance so uh, how, how are you addressing that Jules? I think the, the notion that you have to sacrifice one for the other is not necessarily I mean it's, it's not always the case you can you can very much grow the impact you're having while making revenue and have a business model that enables you to eventually generate a profit. You know, in our case, we obviously sell trees, we sell offsets, and the app also enables people to, that via, obviously, 
our self-advertising fund tree blotting projects. So we find that as we're growing our client base, as we're growing our user base, not only the revenue and the margins will sort of continue to be there, but at the same time, the impact will grow uh, tr tremendously. So I, I, don't, I, I don't think we necessarily need, I think it depends a lot on when you're fundraising, for example, depending on who you're speaking with, you're going to go very differently about your pitch. You know, some investors, especially impact funds, of course, they're very focused on, okay, what, are, what is the impact you're having? What is the impact you're going to be having in five years? How are you tracking it? How can I make sure that you're actually doing it properly? And so that's really the angle that you need to adopt. Uh, and if you go for more sort of, I guess, uh, standard general uh, funds, uh, obviously you're going to be mainly talking about, okay, well, you know, our revenues are growing. Clearly, we're making more and more money. We're going to become a bit that positive then, etc. So I think you have to obviously tailor the speech to who you're speaking with, especially when it comes to fundraising. But otherwise, I truly believe that you can run a successful business while having an impact and that these two things don't have to be opposed. Georgia, I happen to know that you're fundraising at the moment. That's mm -hmm. no secret, as, uh, mm -hmm. as, as we know. You were even on Dragon's Den uh, pitching for money there. <laughs> That's a fantastic pitch. <laughs> um, <laughs> with regard to the feedback that you've had from your potential investors, how, have they been driven by, obviously, the bottom line potential of the business, or is it the social impact messaging, or would you say it's a combination of both? I think for us, it's a combination, and I think it's also quite fascinating how this works for consumer products, because for a consumer product, especially a product that is you know, trying to replace, like in our case, single-use wet wipes that cause an incredible amount of pollution and so forth, the ideal thing was be to not use it at all. So we are offering up an alternative that should satisfy that need in a slightly more eco-friendly way and create something good, while the best thing would be for nothing to exist. So it's like a spectrum, I suppose. And I think for our investors and prospective investors, they just want to know that you can deliver a piece of environmental or social impact while still running a business. So I'm, I don't think I've necessarily met any investor who was like, I only care about one or the other. And it's, it's a balance that I think you have to strike differently at every stage of the business. So it's not a decision you make on day one and, and it's done there. You have to constantly reassess how you're weaving that commitment into the scaling of the company. I mean, I guess the bottom line is that they're still looking at the return, but then they have this sort of the warm, fluffy feeling that they're doing good at the same time by investing in something which has this impact. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, at the moment, it's an angel round that may change as you go into VC territory mm -hmm. one way or the other. You know, we, we, yeah, I think we one of the things that by becoming a B Corps and if we're, we're going to apply, I know it's a really tough process, but if we do it in between rounds, then the next investment round won't have a choice on the matter because we'll have committed anyways, more or less. Yeah. Um, so I think we can have a little bit of control over that and saying that this is what we believe in as a company. So you're going to have to take it or leave it a little bit, yeah. um, which is a great thing to, you know, be able to do. Yeah, the balance of power. And just, you know, just go for it and see what happens. Harriet, do you want to share with us a little bit about the Techstars experience? What, what were their motivations for getting involved? Was it an impact track or, or was it just a generic pool and, and 
what were they looking for? So they are not impact or diversity specific, but what they look for are outliers and they look for people that have lived the issue. They're also looking for trends, future trends. They want to get in on future trends now. So I think that lends itself actually to kind of impact themes because everyone knows that there are these big issues that are going to need solving. Obviously, they are looking for companies that will make profit, <laughs> but it does lead to a really interesting mix of people that you meet and that they invest in. I think, and this is quite London specific because each program has a different MD and depending on that MD, you can have a very different experience. But our MD, his passion is that you know and care about your consumer, your end person, and you really, that is what's going to get you out of bed in the morning. Because if you don't care about them, like obviously startup life isn't straightforward, it isn't easy. We've all turned down, I'm sure, some really great opportunities after LBS to go after what we're doing and what we care about. So I think his kind of obsession with you having a customer obsession means that you really have to get to know and he encourages you you've got to know who's using your product and that leads to some a in it has a big impact on the decisions that you make but it does tend to mean especially within what we're doing like we've met the most incredible people we work with independent tailors but that can be someone who works out of a room in their home that can be someone who's got an established business with a team of 20 people under them they've all got the same problem in that they are great at what they do crafts wise but digital business isn't their thing and I think the wonderful thing about being in the stage where we are at the moment which is still really early is that you have the time and to do things that don't scale to learn what is going to make you scale. So we go out and visit these tailors. And I mean, one guy, incredible. He trained at fashion school in Paris. He then came over and trained in formal menswear in Savile Row, had a team of eight people under him, COVID hit, everything went south, no footfall, nothing. Retrained as a bus driver, but then now is thinking about how do I go back into tailoring spends half his time every day. He, I think he works from five in the morning till 11 o'clock on the buses. And then he switches and becomes a tailor in the afternoon. And he does night shifts as well. So part of our, and this really is a great example of when we're looking at that liquidity, how do we maximize his time? He's not digital at all. He's got an Instagram that's awful and an awful website. So he's not clued into how he does his bookings, how he oh, invoicing, financials, customer service, any of that, that's not his skill. But he is the most incredible tailor. I've used him. We, we check all of them at the moment whilst we work with them. And he completely transformed a vintage dress of my mum's, made it fit me, resized it. It was so complicated. And he's working out of a Regis in Borough. Like you'd never have found him either. So I think that tech stars, A, looking at future problems and B, really encouraging you to get to know your customer. I think it's so good in terms of, right, what are the, what are the things we actually really need to focus on and what should we be focusing on now? and what should we be focusing on in the future? Thank you. 
Georgia, you're pursuing the, uh, the B Corp route. Mm. What do you anticipate getting out of it? I mean, Jules, perhaps you can interject here, because obviously it's a very potential, uh, potentially large um, accolade. Is it just a stamp of approval? Will it open more doors? Will it actually enable you to not just generate more uh, income and get more visibility, but actually open the doors to more collaborations potentially, which you know, could perhaps be the way forward for you and to enable you to scale? Happy to start. You tell me what I get out of. <laughs> <laughs> so the B Corp process. I mean, I'm sure everyone. I'm sure. I'm sure. Pretty much everyone knows what a B Corp is. Uh, but basically, it's it's kind of like the fair trade stamp. When it's, it's it basically certifies that as a business you abide by certain principles and that they have reviewed uh, your company on a few different le levels. So you have the environmental level. You have social. You have governance. I think there's two others. There's one called customer, actually. Uh, and there's another one which I, I forgot. Uh, we've done it a few, year, a few years ago. And so once you apply, they will review everything. It's a very, very long process. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of things to, to fill in. And then they'll sort of take three to six months, come back to you with a score. So you need to hit at least 80 to qualify as a B Corp. I don't know out of how much the, the, the actual thing is, but you need to have at least 80 points to basically be a B Corp. So once you become a B Corp, you're part of the community. So you have access to an intranet where you can actually reach out to other companies, etc. So it's quite good in a sense that they do events and you do have opportunities to work more with companies that also have that stamp. To be honest, you can also work with these companies without having access to the internet. You just have to reach out to them or find warm introductions, etc. So although it's great, I don't think it's, you know, you can still strike these partnerships even if you're not a B Corp. I think it is quite useful more from a B2B perspective than a B2C perspective, actually. I find that although a lot of brands love to whack it on their products, a lot of consumers don't know what that B next to their, their you know, pro the product they're just buying is. So I think it's more on the B2B side of things. When we work with companies, you know, they love, they love to see the fact that we're a B Corp because they know that this independent organization, which is, you know, quite well regarded, uh, is probably one of the biggest certifications within that space, has basically said, okay, these guys are serious about it. These guys know what they're doing. And actually, if a company really knows about B Corp, they will look at your score. So for example, we are very proud uh, to have scored over 100 points, which is super hard. You have very, very few companies that score over 100 on their scale. Obviously, we plant trees. That's pretty much our business model. So it's normal, it's normal that we, we, we scored well. Uh, but I think, yeah, the, the, the B Corp is more useful for B2B than B2C, in my opinion. And it's quite a tedious process. But once you, you've done it, you don't have to reapply again. You just have to like, do a, a check-in, I think, every two or three years. So, uh, and probably pay a subscription. Yes, yes, you have to pay. You have to pay. You have to pay. Yeah, absolutely. There's a subscription involved. Yeah, yeah. So, George, are you looking at accreditation? Because you think it would open the doors to well, more partnerships, more than the customers? Actually, I think it's interesting what you're saying, that similarly, we are a consumer product, so there's certain certifications that you get that are certifying things that you could probably do anyways independently. So, you know, for example, I think the Leaping Bunny here, which is um, one of the cruelty-free symbols, got into a little bit of hot water. Um, in the UK because actually you can't sell products tested on animals anyways, but, you know, by putting, with some companies paying to have the leaping bunny, customers were getting the impression that companies that didn't have the leaping bunny were testing on animals, which is not a fact. And that happens also with, uh, you know, the vegan society. Obviously, you can make a 
vegan product and not pay the vegan society to certify it and give you a stamp. We, of course, do, as well as the Cosmos organic certification. So it's, it's, it is something that we did not do at the inception of the company because I thought we can still be a sustainable company without having to pay somebody to, to tell us. But also because at the time, you know, you have sustainability you have to say that you're going to run your office and your company sustainably. I'm like, I'm going to put a recycling bin in my, <laughs> in my house. Like the company was so small that some of the bullet points just didn't make any sense. But as we scale, it, it kind of does make sense to, to, to put a little bit of governance into it. And I don't know if we're doing it for the customer necessarily, but just to say, if one of our pillars is sustainability, Maybe just gotta, you know, walk the walk. Yeah, play the game. Hopefully. It's a way to keep you honest, I suppose. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, it's not going to do any harm. Because yeah, when you're like this big, mm. it's it's easy. But when it starts to to become more difficult, that's probably when you do need to have. Well, the absence of it almost begs the question as to, yeah, why haven't you? Well, well, it does, and yeah. obviously, I can't just sit at an investor meeting. Be, do you know, I can be sustainable without. Yeah, somebody's saying um, yeah. it only can can live until a certain size, I suppose. Get it done. I, I, I do agree with Georgia. That's it's 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 a particularly impressive to see a company that's a B Corp if they're a multinational massive company. Like, mm -hmm. for example, I think Avion is a B Corp. I think Ben and Jerry is a B Corp. Mm -hmm. This is very impressive because they have such an immense supply chain to achieve B Corp to achieve eighty points yeah. at that scale is. It's so expensive to get there. That that's truly something to you know. If consumers can tell that how hard it would be to become a B Corp when you have that scale, then you can know that these products are truly better for the environment than maybe there are alternatives yeah. that are not yeah. well, or companies of our size. Maybe so. guys, we're going to have to wrap up. I'm afraid. Um, a fascinating panel and some great insights from three very very inspiring entrepreneurs. I'm sure you'll agree. Who. Uh, yeah, we've loved hearing from you all, making a huge difference and no doubt much, much more to come on the horizon. I know you've all got exciting plans and we wish you the very best of success and look forward to following your journey. I'm here for you as a, as a business school, of course. Thank We'd you. like to thank the guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone, for listening. You've been listening to Entrepreneurship Now, brought to you by the editorial team at Think at London Business School. Follow us here for more episodes or find us on iTunes or Spotify. For more faculty research insights, go to london.edu forward slash think. You can also sign up there for our free regular email newsletter to get updates on our latest publications direct to your inbox. And finally, please don't forget to leave us a review or rating, which helps new listeners find us.